Well, speaking of receiving the good things, um, we're going to continue in our series. And today I want to talk about receiving love. I mentioned that last week that I would do that. Um, we're in this uh, series called 2020 in 2020, and it's about seeing, it's about insight, it's about the, the way we can understand uh, ourselves and our world in perhaps a new way, in a better way. I propose that the number one problem today is the lack of awareness, and this is what I continue to run into with my clients. So for those who don't know, I do coaching um, outside of this, and it has turned into quite a very uh, <laughs> big uh, undertaking because I meet with clients uh, now, and it's just it's it's taken up so much of my time and I love it. And meeting with these folks, I get to meet people from all over the world. And um, these folks are, um, are challenged by very similar things that you are all challenged by. So it's wonderful when you start to realize, wow, all our issues are pretty much common everywhere around the world. And, um, and one of the big, big issues for, for, uh, that we keep running into is the ability to see, the ability to understand why, why you do what you do, why you behave the way you behave, to be able to understand what's the better way, what's a new way I could live. And if you can see yourself, be yourself, this is one of the lines we always use, if you can see yourself, be yourself, you can finally change. Because the thing is, most of the time we see ourselves in reflection. Oh yeah, I did that. That was stupid. But m many times it's very difficult to catch ourselves in the moment and stop ourselves and do something different, right? So this is what awareness is. Uh, I, I also propose that Jesus, I think, primarily came to bring that to us, was to open our eyes. So all the healings about blind eyes being opened and the way the writers use that to kind of preach the sermon about you think you can see metaphorically when you're really blind and Jesus has come to open your eyes to see. Well, to see what? Exactly. We don't know. And not until we do see differently. But then our eyes are opened. You've all had these moments of aha, right? Driving down the street for whatever reason. You're driving or you're taking a shower or you're, uh, you're mowing the lawn or you're shoveling the snow. And suddenly, boom, something hits you. Like, Where'd that come from? And why did it happen at this moment? But nonetheless, you've had this epiphany, this awareness, this new insight. And, uh, and some of these seem to be by accident. Oftentimes they do seem to be by accident. They just show up. It's like the random, like uh, the author of Legend of Bagger Vance uh, says, Stephen Pressfield, he says, it's like the muses, they just show up. They're just like these, you know, spiritual entities. They just show up and they talk to you. They don't wait for when you're ready. They just, they just show up. Right. And that is true for a lot of folks and uh, neuroscientists who specialize in neurotheology, Andrew Newberg, in his book, How Enlightenment Changes the Brain, talks about this. He's done research and studied um, 2000 stories of spiritual awareness or enlightenment. And many of the stories are similar. It's like, I don't know, it's just. I'm a truck driver, just driving my truck along the, you know, the highway. And suddenly I have this epiphany. Not only is it like I understand something, but it changes my very being. Like I'm no longer the same person. My behavior has changed. But maybe there's also something we can do about it, that it doesn't ha just have to be by accident that we get these insights, but that there's something we can actually do to prepare ourselves where preparation plus opportunity creates something pretty magical. That it's just not waiting for the opportunity of, well, one day, you know, when somehow these epiphanies, these enlightenments, these awarenesses come to me and I see differently, but that if you can do something to prepare yourself, that it can also produce some of these 
new awarenesses. And I believe that that's actually what Jesus was teaching is that there are ways to do that. And I suggested one of them was by beginning to love people that by actively loving them, not from a distance, that's sort of like this, you know, modern way of thinking about tolerance. It's like, yeah, I just tolerate everybody, but I don't live with any of them. And I certainly don't want to have a meal with any of them. It's like, well, in what way do you tolerate that? What does tolerance mean? It just means that uh, let live, live and let live sort of thing. But where is that community effect, that, that, that connection that actually produces real change in our lives? Because when you meet with somebody, you sit down with them and you hear their story, it messes with a lot of your preconceptions. You know, and all of them have, everyone has preconceptions, and I think of myself as being a fairly laid back, easy going, happy person that tends to not judge people. Well, that ain't true because I do, too, because I found myself showing up at the because I love, you know, playing. And many of you know, I love playing racquetball. So I go to the gym and I play racquetball. And there's certain characters that I that I read by just what I see. And you know how many times I'm wrong? Every time. Like I'm zero for a thousand. That's that's a that's a bad rating, you know. You wouldn't hire me if that was my, you know. So, so this, is what, this is what we tend to do is look and we see and we perceive and then we have a, a perspective of somebody and we judge them from the outside and then we sort of form this worldview about people. Now, it doesn't just come from that. It comes from our experience early on in life where certain people did mis, you know, treat us in a particular way that was harmful or hurtful. And then we started seeing people that were similar to them in the same light. Right? But once you begin sitting with somebody and hearing their story, it changes your preconceptions. Right? Love has the capacity of opening your eyes to see differently. And so I've been saying this for a long time, and many of you who are here have heard me say this. Stop listening to the news. I'm talking about the, the crappy news outlets out there. Because they want to tell you about your neighbor instead of you meeting your neighbor and doing what Jesus said to do, which was you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's it's a sin to my mind that CNN, Fox News, these other outlets are telling you about your neighbor and you're not meeting them. Something's really messed up with our world that they get the right to tell you about your neighbors that are across the pond or your neighbors that are across the world because they're your neighbors too, at least according to Jesus. And we believe it. And they make money off of us believing that instead of us saying done with that, I'm going to meet the neighbor and I'm going to choose to love my neighbor as I love myself. And then your eyes open. Oh, they've been lying to us. Well, no kidding. That's how they make their money. It's by stimulating your amygdala. It's by stimulating your fear factor. And they trigger that. And then you buy more and then you read more and then you become a drug addict on news because it confirms your bias, which is that danger is out there, not within me. Christ came and says, no, danger is not out there. Danger is within you. The beast isn't out here. The beast is in you. And you have to deal with that. And you deal with that and you die to that, then you'll be resurrected to new life. And then you can bring salvation to the world. 
So love is what begins to open our eyes to see the world differently. But then there's the bigger step and that's the receiving of love. That my friends is much harder to do than even giving love. There's this story in, um, in John chapter 13. And um, I'm going to read, um, unless someone wants to, would someone want to read this? This is sort of like a traditional uh, liturgical way. Someone comes up and reads it, and then there's, you know, come on. Someone's going to volunteer to read chapter 13. It's a bit lengthy, but I know you can do it. Come on. Yes, absolutely. You can read it from here, but you need a mic. All right. All right. I'm just going to do NIV. All right. That's the most inspired version. Thank you. Nearly inspired. You're welcome. (laughs) Nearly inspired. I like that. The nearly inspired version. Here we go. Um, John 13. So it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Hmm. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you. You can read any time you'd like. (laughs) That was well done. Um, So John 13 um, is um, an anomaly because Matthew, Mark, Luke... Uh, the, what's called the synoptic gospels because they're kind of they're similar. They tell stories similarly, although the order of them is different. Um, they tell this story, and the way they tell the story is actually 
uh, about the Passover or about the communion, the Eucharist. And so that's what follows this. When um, it was just before the Passover uh, festival, John starts out with knowing that the hour would have come. And then he talks about Judas. And then it's set that whole thing by the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are followed with the meal. It, John takes the meal out of the story and he puts this foot washing thing in the middle of that instead. So he replaces it. It's an interesting thing. Why would John do that? We're not entirely sure, but there's a message John is communicating here um, that he wants his listeners to understand. Um, And so when he talks about this foot washing uh, ceremony, most people hear this and think, oh, right, I've seen this in the Catholic Church or I've seen this um, at different events or I've heard about it. And um, and it's a ceremony that um, some churches actually believe literally were to keep and continue to do is the foot washing. Right. Um, Maybe this is a hint to water baptism because Paul, Peter, um, Paul, Peter, Mary, um, (laughs) Jesus, uh, Jesus says, Those who've had a bath only need um, to have their feet washed, right? So um, what is he referencing? Maybe the baptism, water baptism. So there's a lot of confusion. The scholars are really torn about this. What does this mean? Um, And and I have the answer. (laughs) I, your pastor alone, have the answer. (laughs) Not true. Um, But I do have some thoughts about it that um, that that I think makes sense given the flow of John the book of John, and also I think the flow of um, the rest of, of the scriptures. And, um, and I think what's happening here is when Jesus says to, um, uh, Jesus is, is, is drawing from an ancient practice that predated him and continued in his day of washing feet was, was part of a, it, it was part of this whole ritual purity uh, um, you know, thing and also part of, a, uh, of just a, a social, it had become very much a social part of life, like, like, like religions today. Like many people say, well, I'm Catholic, but I'm Catholic by not because I attend church, but because I was raised this way. Or I'm Protestant, not because I attend church, but because I was raised that way. It's my culture, right? There's a lot of that that takes place. And similar, similarly, it would have happened in the days of Jesus and, and before him. But the idea, the root idea of purity or of washing the feet was it had to do with ritual purity, uh, th- this concept of, and if you could imagine an artistic rendering of this, of, of man emerging, humanity emerging from the earth. The ancient world was one in which people were very close to the earth. There weren't paved roads. Wherever you walked, there was dust and there was dirt and you got dirty. Uh, and, and it was nearly impossible to remain clean. And so uh, the, the idea was you wanted to clean yourself and be pure. And religious purity was symbolic in that sense. But it was also viewed as really true, too, that if you were dirty, you were somehow spiritually unclean and could not come before God. So even the priests in the Jewish religion had to wash their feet, their hands before entering into the temple to stand before God. This concept was so rooted in human psyche that, 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 that the richer you became, the wealthier you became, the more the, 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 you know, the, that you rose from the earth in a sense. You lived in higher places. You, you lived in castles 
Where, where was God? Where would you worship God? On the top of a mountain. As far away from the earth as you could possibly get and as close to purity or heaven or that which is non-material. That's where God is. Everything that has to do with dirt and earth is contaminated, is sinful, and is unaccepted before God. So this is in the context in which Jesus is ministering and John is trying to communicate this idea. Which is, I think, why he inserts this foot washing uh, ceremony here. And why he says that Jesus says to, the, to, to Peter, listen, unless I wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And Peter is immediately thinking, this is still has to do with ritual purity. I must be clean in order to then enter into this new kingdom that you're establishing and that we're going to be royalty. And royalty, of course, is clean and higher above the earth and, you know, more godly. And Jesus says, uh, and so Peter then jumps in and says, well, then, okay, not just my feet, then, then my head and my hands. And Jesus says, you've already had a bath. Now, that's not literal because he's quick to say, however, not all of you is clean. Right? He's <laughs> indicating Judas. Now, he isn't saying, someone's stinky in here, and I think it's you, Judas. You didn't take a bath, did you, before you came here? I don't think that's what he's saying. You know, I think it's, it has to do with the cleanliness of, of your intentions, of your heart. You know, you're not, you're not quite there. You're not really a follower of Christ, right? And so um, he's already had a bath because you are already a follower of me. So what is Jesus saying here? And I think he is saying this and Paul is saying this in the book of Galatians and elsewhere that Christ has eradicated the old system and has established a brand new one. And the brand new one is simply this. None of you could ever keep the law and be pure enough and rise high enough above this earth to be pure and to be clean and to be acceptable before God. So God has completely erased that system and has forgiven every single one of you. Completely. It's done. Through Christ, all sin, past, present, future, has been washed away. It is finished. Genuinely, it is finished. And because you're fully accepted by me, the only thing that prevents you from that is your inability to receive love, the inability to receive my grace for you. Which is why when Jesus says to Peter, I need to wash your feet, and Peter says, no, no, no. Why is he saying that? <laughs> because uh, no one likes to be served. No one wants to be, this is uncomfortable to be loved. And, and there's a way to earn this. There's a way to work at this. I can be better, really. I can do better. No, you can't. But you can be cleansed by receiving grace and love from God. The, the, the second component to, that makes us really uncomfortable is guess who washed the feet of people in the ancient world? Slaves, servants, and you. So if you walked into the house of a dignitary, if you were lucky to be invited by somebody who was superior to you, and this is the way it was in the ancient world is very stratified. 
superiors, inferiors. That's the way it was worked out. And it was even in the human psyche that I am less than you because clearly you're blessed by God because you're in a higher role. And you'll never, and there's no ascendant, there's no climbing the ladder in the ancient world. You're born poor, you stay poor, you're born a sinner, you produce sinners, and sinners produce sinners. That's, that's the ancient mindset. And so when you walked into the house of a dignitary, what was offered to you, if the, most likely they had servants, is um, you, were, you were handed a basin, you washed your own feet, or a servant washed your feet. Now, if you were the dignitary entering into the house of someone less than you, then the host would wash your feet or a servant of the host would wash your feet, but likely the host, because the host would recognize that as you're superior to me. This is the right act for me to ingratiate myself to you. So when Jesus does this, Jesus is flipping the whole hierarchy system, the whole system of who's superior and who is inferior completely on its head, which is why he wraps up the way he does. No servant is greater than his master. He's using language common to them, meaning I'm your master and you're my servant. You're not greater than me. So guess what? You also have to wash the feet of those who are less than you. What does that do to the whole system? Blows it up. There is no system like that anymore to the mind of Jesus and to the mind of the disciples. This isn't done in Christ. That is over. Now there is one thing, and that is your capacity to receive love and to give love. So let me uh, wrap this up with a couple thoughts. One is this, your ability, your capacity to love comes from your ability to receive it. Your capacity to love comes from your ability to receive it. In Luke 7, final um, scripture and thought on that, there's a sinful woman, sinful woman that comes in to the house of Simon who is hosting Jesus. Simon is, in a, is superior to everybody in the house, including Jesus and the social strata. And this sinful woman comes in and she somehow sneaks into this jammed room full of people and she comes to the feet of Jesus and she begins to weep and her tears fall on his feet and she begins to wash them with her hair. And Simon judges her and Jesus in his head and Jesus answers his judgment out loud and looks to Simon and says, since... I arrived here. You offered me no basin for my feet. You didn't even do the basic. Like, you, never mind a servant coming and washing my feet. You didn't even give me a basin for me to wash my own feet. But this woman, from the moment that she came in, began washing my feet. Then he finishes with this powerful statement. Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Whoever has been forgiven little, wink, wink, Simon, loves little. Your capacity to love, your capacity to love others comes from your ability to receive it. Your capacity to love comes from your ability to have received grace or forgiveness. And it's in direct proportion. 
You can't give what you don't have. Now, it's not in the matter in the sense of volume, like, oh, I need to be loved a lot before I love somebody. It's not in that sense. It's in the sense of, can you receive it? Can you genuinely embody it? Take it inside of you, digest it. Not consume it, digest it. Meditate on it. Welcome it. Can you imagine how long a foot washing, have you ever done a foot washing, been part of a foot washing ceremony? It can last maybe three minutes. It feels like a stinking eternity. I almost said some other word. It feels like a stinking eternity when you're sitting there and someone's washing your feet. You're like, oh, when is this going to be over? This is so uncomfortable. Right? And that's, that's the sort of sitting with love that Peter has to do as his own master. Strips down, takes his clothes off and ends up in his underwear, which is what slaves and servants did. And looks at Peter, says, unless I do this, you can't have any part of me. Like, this is the way the thing works. The entire new system of salvation works. It's, Can you receive my love as I love you? Now really receive it. There's a 75 year study done by Harvard on the good life. And after 75 years of tracking a graduating body of students, this is what they discovered made for the good life. People that were healthy, people that were happy for the most part, and people who were successful for the most part. Do you know what the number one thing was that they discovered? Your capacity to receive love. Interesting that Harvard came out with a study like that. It's biblically true. It's scientifically proven. Your capacity to receive love has so many health benefits and spiritual benefits for you and me. And yet it's one of the hardest things <laughs> that you will ever do in your life. So here's a tip. Do it badly. Because you're not going to do it well. But when you receive love, when someone loves you, you first have to perceive it. You have to begin to look around and watch as, oh, so-and-so loved me in this way. I've been doing this with lots of people, and it's surprising how they go, oh, I, I just don't think of that as love. Like, when someone's doing that, for, I just don't think of that as love. Well, yeah, you don't, because it's not the way you want to be loved. It's not the way you love either. But it's the way they do. And so if you demand people to love you only the way that you want to be loved, good luck. You'll be drinking, you know, it's like drinking a milkshake through a coffee stirrer. You know, those little plastic straws? That's pretty much what you're doing. And you're trying to survive on that. And instead, why don't you open up your capacity to receive love by actually noticing how many ways God is loving you throughout the day, through the different ways that God is loving you, even if it doesn't scratch the itch for you. It's not the way I want to be loved. And that's not the way to love somebody. Says you, right? Says me. We're all judges of how we're supposed to love. You're not loving me the right way. You're not loving me the right. Yeah. How many arguments have been around that? It's not the way to love me. You're not loving me the way. And then who wins? No one. You both lose because you both walk away angry and you both walk away unloved. But what if you were to start to notice that, oh, that's the way she loves me. That's the way he loves me. That's the way these people, this group loves me. That's interesting. I wouldn't have received it as love. Or seen it as love, never mind received it. But now I see it, and now can I meditate on it? Can I go home on it? Now, I didn't concept this, I've taken this in, in a different direction or in a, my own direction, but I didn't originate this idea. Um, it was certainly in scripture, but the previous pastor, Mark Fee, who used to pastor this church, 
That's what, he really developed this concept of being able to see God's love everywhere and to receive it. That's what changed me in the early years when I first came here, was the ability to perceive it and receive it and to literally meditate on it. And Mark Fee used to do this all the time, was meditate on God's love, meditate all the time, meditate. How did, how did I see that? And then to say to himself, wow, look at how God is loving me in this moment, right? The ability to expand your capacity to receive love so that you can give love. All right, folks. Um, Before I start, I just want to say I I pray uh, the night before and the morning of to see what the benediction will be about. And sometimes I don't get anything and it makes me a little nervous, but I always know when that happens that something pretty magical is going to happen during the service. Um, And that happened today. Um, So what I did get was um, this quote um, that I'll be reading in a moment. Um, A lot of pieces of the sermon and everything else, these, these little threads have come together. So I hope you'll appreciate how they've woven together into this benediction. Um, Joel said at the end, your capacity to love comes from your ability to receive it. Uh, And I consider myself to be very able to receive love. And uh, however, this really hit home because I have uh, traveled home recently to be with my mom who's recovering from um, brain cancer treatment and my dad who's very, very challenging um, in some regards. And so when my dad drove me to the airport, when we got out, he pressed the button for the trunk to open. So I got out and got my own luggage and brought it to the sidewalk. Um, And he just stared straight ahead. And so I stared at him and he finally looked and he rolled down the window and I said, you're not even going to get out to give me a hug goodbye. And he said, no, that's uncomfortable, but I would like to touch you. And he just put his hand out like this. He just wanted to hold my hand. And when he did, he said, for the first time in my life, I love you very much. He's never used very before. This is a big deal. So the quote is, there will come a time when you believe that everything is finished. That will be the beginning. In the death of old ways, may you find new possibilities. May you open yourself to receive what Jesus is inviting you into. May you stretch beyond your comfort level to receive love in new and novel ways in the coming week. Blessings on your week. Brilliant.